What drives the political decisions behind the Affordable Care Act? How do we find a program that provides coverage to as many people as possible? Is this even a goal? From the Chicago Policy Review and the University of Chicago, this is Chicago Policy Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Bretz. We're here today with Rob Christie, Senior Vice President of External Affairs and Communication for Northwestern Memorial Healthcare. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourself? I'm well, thanks. Good. Uh, Mr. Christie, thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Happy to do so. What do you think are the biggest effects or the biggest changes that you've seen since the Affordable Care Act has become a part of the national conversation? Well, we've, we've been talking about the Affordable Care Act even before it became the Affordable Care Act, um, which was enacted about four years ago today. Um, it's late January 2010, but there was a, an extensive debate going up to the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, and primarily around the need to cover uh, many Americans that uh, currently don't have coverage. At that point in time, the estimate was 50-some-odd million Americans did not have access to, uh, to insurance. And so providing a program that uh, in some way, shape, or form would provide coverage to those that don't have insurance, we thought, and everybody else thought, was a, was a noble goal. The Affordable Care Act did that. Uh, 32 million additional uh, people that currently are uninsured would uh, now have availability of insurance to them uh, as a result of the Affordable Care Act starting in January of this year. And uh, so we'll wait to see how that rolls out. But obviously, it's been, as a result of the Affordable Care Act, it's dominated the debate in the health care uh, uh, policy arena from the standpoint of over the course of the last four years, I think Republicans have now done 40 repeal attempts in the House of Representatives, uh, repealing the Affordable Care Act, but not replacing it with anything, which is curious. So. Um, hopefully, and uh, we hear debate coming out of uh, Washington as recently as this week, that the Republicans are looking at a comprehensive proposal to uh, at least, if they're going to repeal it, this is what they would replace it with. And it's not going to be as simple as they think. And um, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with, because there's a couple provisions of the Affordable Care Act that have been primarily uh, supported across the board that it would be hard for Republicans to take that out of out of the law. And that is, one, coverage for pre-existing conditions, which the Affordable Care Act does. Everybody, uh, I'm sure you yourself, Kristen, know somebody who, over the course of their lifetime, was denied benefits because of a pre-existing condition. And in most cases, it's a heart-wrenching situation. So now that that's in law, um, it's going to be almost impossible to repeal that. So the Republicans have to start with that as being one of the basic platforms. Another another part of the Affordable Care Act that is, has a wide appeal is allowing uh, parents to keep their children on their insurance policy through age 26. And again, that comes at a cost to, um, to, to how are you going to formulate a new plan that doesn't have that as part of it. So uh, we're anxious to see what comes out of the Republican caucus moving forward as far as uh, replacements. but. Um, attempts to repeal it were pr primarily, you know, partisan because they knew even if they did get it passed out of the House, which it did 40 times, it wasn't going to pass the Senate. 
and even if miraculously it did pass, it's not going to be vetoed by the president. So um, that's been the major part of the debate for the last four years. And what do you think drives the political decisions? <laughs> well, it's it's the various philosophies of the parties, and you know they've latched on to some of the problems with the rollout of the Affordable Care Act, which has had its problems, and those problems need to be corrected. As I say, and I started before, the theory behind it was how do we find a program, whether it's a Republican program or a Democratic program, that provides coverage to as many people as we can that don't have coverage today? Is that a goal? And how do you do that in a way that's, um, <coughs> that's supportable? Hospitals, four years ago, looked at the Affordable Care Act proposal and said, okay, we're ready to ante up, and we will, we will support this and will accept cuts to future reimbursements because we know that, hey, if this covers as many people as you say, 32 million Americans that are currently uninsured, we'll have a lot more patients coming through our doors that have some form of insurance that don't today. Um, now, let's look at reality four years later and the enrollment. Um, you know, they're saying it would be, it would be a success if we announced that you know, by the end of March, the enrollment period, there's there's send it seven to ten million people enrolled. Well, that's far short of the 32 million that was promised. And what was the ante that hospitals and and major providers put into the into the debate? We agreed to 250 billion in cuts to hospital payments between 2010 and 2020, um, as a, to to pay for our fair share of the Affordable Care Act. Again, with the assumption that we're going to be getting a lot more patients that have insurance that will be coming through our doors. So we're anxious to see how this rolls out. We're very anxious for it to be as successful as possible um, and concerned that the rollout hasn't been uh, more smoothly done. Interesting. Are there any elements that have significantly changed at Northwestern? Um, I, that's a good question. And we have, we've prepared ourselves uh, for looking at the world uh, away from a fee-for-service reimbursement program under Medicare and Medicaid. And what I mean by that, let me explain fee-for-service. Currently under Medicaid, um, hospitals and doctors get paid almost on every touch they see a patient along the way. Let's just take a simple procedure of a knee replacement. So you come into your primary care doctor and you see, doctor, I have, I have an aching knee. The doctor does it preliminary examination and says, you know, I think you need to go see a specialist. So you go see a specialist. The specialist tells you, yes, in fact, I can see that you have arthritis and you need a knee replacement. So you schedule that. <clears throat> you go through and you have your operation. And then you have your post-operation um, recovery through rehab. While you're being operated on, you, you, you're also touched by an anesthesiologist. So who's touched the patient along the way? the primary care doctor, the specialist, the hospital's taken several images before surgery, they've taken several images after surgery, the anesthesiologist touched the patient during surgery, and the rehab specialist touched the patient afterwards. All along the way, at every one of those touch points, there's a reimbursement, that's called fee for service. And let's say that that average cost of that procedure is $30,000. In the future, what uh, Medicare wants to get to is a bundled payment where they say, you know what, we're going to provide you one payment for that. 
no matter how many touches that patient has along the way. We're going to provide you one payment, and it's not going to be $30,000. It's going to be $24,000. And you figure out how to disperse that among the various people that touch that patient along the way. So that's causing us to look at, uh, you know, how do we uh, get prepared for a system in which there's going to be bundled payments. We also are looking at coordinated care much more closely and how do we take an incident of care and make sure that the patient is getting the right uh, kind of care at the, at the right point and at the right time. We'd like to get patients out of the emergency room that are coming to the emergency room that use it um, as their principal source of, of, uh, of, uh, of health care. Many patients come to the emergency room because they're uninsured and don't have access to a primary care physician. So a program that we've instituted in our follow-up clinic here is before a free care patient is discharged, we'll find out, do you have a primary care physician? Because you were here today for a reason that really wasn't an emergency. Let's find you a primary care physician in your neighborhood closer to where you live. And let's make sure that your follow-up um, with a primary care physician within, within two weeks is scheduled, that you get the meds that you need to get as a result of your presentation in the emergency department today, and in the future, you can go directly to that primary care physician for incidents like this today as opposed to coming back to the emergency department. That's more coordinated care, and that's what we're getting into as a result of uh, changes in the industry that somewhat were brought on by the Affordable Care Act. If you had to summarize the impact on the layperson, on the Chicagoland community. What would you say the greatest impact is? What do you think people think about the changes? Well, it depends on, on from where you sit. For instance, if, if you're somebody who has not been able to change jobs, even though you've been offered a better job because you've been afraid of moving from one employer to the next because you might lose your insurance because you have cancer, a pre-existing condition, now that no longer is a concern. You can change jobs, and that, that, that ability to get insurance is going to stay with you. You won't lose that by just by changing employers, and the new employer goes, oh, you know what, our insurance company won't cover you because of a pre-existing condition. That happened a lot. Um, and so if you're in that situation, you're very excited. You might be somebody who hasn't had access to insurance before that now does have access. For instance, you might be somebody who is at or below 138% of the uh, federal poverty level in male and single, and so therefore ineligible for Medicaid before. Now you're eligible for Medicaid, which is, which is a completely uh, government-financed program, and you don't have to pay a premium for Medicaid. And so now you've got insurance that, uh, and access to Medicaid that you didn't have before. Um, so those are two, two individuals. They're, they're in Illinois, it's an estimate of 1.3 million Illinoisans that previously were uninsured that will have access to insurance as a result of the Affordable Care Act. So depending on where you are at in one of those 1.3 million, um, you're going to be very excited about that. Can you talk more about, of those 1.3 million people, what you think that they should be more aware of, maybe that they're not? They should be aware that insurance is available to them. They should be aware that they have to buy insurance. It's a requirement. Now granted, the penalty is not that stiff if you don't, and that's one of the big problems of the Affordable Care Act is the penalty is not significant enough to incentivize 
um, individuals who are eligible to buy insurance to buy insurance, and primarily those that are younger who think they're in infallible. So 26 to 34 year olds. Uh, you know what? It's going to cost me a couple hundred a month or 300 a month, and I, I, you know what? I'm young and healthy, and I don't need insurance. And they go out and they play basketball, and they have a, a severe, you know, um, a bone break. Maybe they break their leg or they break their arm, and all of a sudden they've got a significant hospital bill that they're facing. Um, uh, they need to have more than a $95 penalty, or one percent of their income is a penalty, um, uh, to incentivize them to, to buy insurance. And we need those young, healthy people in the pool so that it helps pay for, again, now we have coverage for those that, that were previously denied coverage because of pre-existing condition. And we have a lot of people in the older ages that, uh, that have access to insurance that didn't before. So you've got to broaden the pool of the younger who are not going to utilize it as much with the older and the pre-existing condition. If you don't have the younger in, it skews the pool and it makes it more difficult for the numbers to uh, uh, to work out in the end. And what do you think the priorities are for whether it's the healthcare industry or the hospital itself uh, looking into the future, particularly with the new requirement for people to sign on? Yeah, well, one of the, the priorities for, for providers is to, and, and, and actually for priority for everybody is to bend the cost curve. You cannot, this country cannot sustain the kind of increases that we've seen over the last several years, uh, well beyond inflation, um, uh, to health care. And there are ways that the Affordable Care Act was designed to, to bend the cost curve. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether or not that plays out. But obviously, changing reimbursements from Medicare um, to away from a fee-for-service system and more to a coordinated care situation um, incident of care situation um, um, will do that. And hospitals are getting ready by reducing their cost structure as well. For instance, we, we are in the third year of a major program to take significant costs out of our operations. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll see that other hospitals have been doing the same. There have been consolidations, too, among the industry. Um, there are hospitals that are part of larger systems now in Illinois that were standalone hospitals before. You'll continue to see uh, some of that, um, not only in this state, but nationally. Uh, that's a way to create efficiency. So those are some of the changes that are happening. Um, again, a priority for us is to reduce our co cost structure and remain competitive, um, while at the same time providing the highest quality care and also being an academic medical center where we're at the cutting edge of, uh, of research and development. So. Um, those are key priorities. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. Sure. Thank you for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Our podcast was produced and edited by Kristen Bretz. Special thanks this week to Una Bernhardt. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan G. You can find us at www dot chicagopolicyreview.org and on iTunes. Thanks for listening and join us next time.